The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. And I have my sidekick, Ethan Broga. Hey, Ken. Running shotgun, as usual. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> good, good. Good. It's a uh, cloudy Wednesday afternoon here at the time we're recording this in Seattle. I was yep. in Phoenix over the weekend. It was about 101 degrees, actually. That's hot. It's, uh, second, um, second uh, highest temperature for this this early in the year that they've hit his uh, is that they have on historical record wow oh yeah it was a sweatshop <laughs> but uh it was a nice it was a nice change get a little sun anyway we are here uh with empirical investing radio to talk about making smart financial decisions as usual and uh last week ethan we talked about uh we were talking about an article in the wall street journal that i uh, saw and um how this uh, advisory group was was talking about no sorry about that um the advisory group was talking about how the market had gotten giddy right i recall giddy giddy and uh, giddier in the group of uh school girls i guess and um <laughs> which uh we were we were kind of going through the reasons of the different issues that they related and all of them were publicly well publicly known issues yeah no big middle, secrets i don't think <laughs> middle east um, issues and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so I thought we, one of the things we ended on last week is we said, well, let's take a look at the valuations. I thought we could do a little bit of that. All right. Uh, in today's program, we talk a little bit about valuations and PE ratios and, you know, maybe meaningful ways of organizing your stocks into groups and categories and, and looking at those valuations. Uh, I'd like to have a little client question kind of scenario. Um, yeah, we've talked about some things that. Recently, we've talked about with clients, and, right. uh, and I think that brings a little realism to it. Um, and uh, and um, we talked a little bit about maybe having some Roth discussion. Yeah, we talked about that. I know you like to run Roth rich. Well, sure. Who, and, who doesn't? Um, yeah, I mean, who who wouldn't want to? So um, before we do that, though, why don't you go ahead and give out our n- normal contact information and such? Yeah, it's no problem. Um, as usual, you can reach us via email or give us a call here at the radio station. Our email address is contact at empiradio.com or 800-923-4307. And as usual, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a you know, financial-related question or concern that you'd like to 
have us kick around on the air. That'd be great. We'd love to hear from you. And um, as usual, too, if you're interested in having a one-on-one conversation with one of our advisors here in the office, um, just review your your portfolio, your current situation, perhaps your retirement plan. Uh, we'd love to give uh, uh, get you a second opinion on that. And uh, also, if you're a, a, an advisor out there uh, looking to partner up with a firm um, who's been pretty well established, has a pretty good way of doing things, uh, we'd also love to hear from you. And, you know, one thing that, Ken, that we've talked about uh, just here recently uh, in regards to partnering up with um, other experienced advisors around there, um, we also have, and we haven't mentioned this before, um, so I thought I'd bring it up today, that if you, we also have several types of presentations that we've done over the years that are, are, are pretty unique and I think pretty compelling for for prospects to, to listen to or, or potential clients. And what I'm offering essentially is, is another way to help you build your business with us. So along with the um, sort of the back office stuff that we have, the systems that we have in place, um, the great portfolio tools that we have, the research that we do on an ongoing basis, and sort of the brain trust that our company, we're off also offering a way for you to um, to help you rather build I know, your own business. I know you've, you've worked uh, diligently to um, put a lot of material together. We both have. Um, so just educational materials. And sure. Putting together various programs in that. So I'm at work right now, in fact, doing that while I'm on the air. I'm doing two things at once here. <laughs> no, that was a good sound effect. No, but seriously, if you're interested in, in hearing uh, more about that, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call at 800-923-4307 and ask to, ask to speak with Ken or myself. Okay, great. Um, Simon's going to fire up his computer here, and um, we will uh, get some of this data down. Okay, good job, Simon. Hey, so, so, uh, hang on a second. Simon, can you make sure he has no more sound effects for the rest of the day? <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. Going into the database here, Ethan, so we've got to, got to dig deep. We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for sound effects here this morning. Okay. This All morning right. Now, you said something about Giddy and schoolgirls. And... I don't think I did. Oh. I think that was you. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's talk about that, though. Is the market Giddy? Um, and where, we, where do we fall in valuations? Because it's one thing to say that, that there's a... A lot of news out there, right? And potential events. Sure. Um, I guess, and we were kind of going through the list, and things were like the Middle East, Japan, um, budget deficits. You know, uh, over the other list. I, I, I think know, sovereign, debt, sovereign, sovereign debt, sovereign debt problems issues, over right. in Europe and other places, I'm sure, uh, among others. Taking those news and and trying to interpret them into um, the markets over or undervalued historically has been a pretty difficult way to do it. Um, and in fact, when we look at the data, a uh, pretty good book by a guy named Jeremy Siegel. Ethan, I don't know if you've read the book, but uh, Stocks for the Long Run. Well, sure, I've read the book. Oh, okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> hey, no need to get uh, all Def- defensive, defensive, dude. You're getting all crazy on me here. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just all calm down. <laughs> But uh, I'm just kidding. I know it's a good book. We're having a good time. It makes a good argument. It's a good book. And in that book, though, I mean, he, <clears throat> it's a long book, actually, and it's pretty thick. He presents quite a bit of data. And I know there's been debate, even among uh, various authors that we respect and, and academics, as to sure. whether his point about stocks are the best asset class for everyone to be in. Um, that that's a different debate. But you can't negate a lot of the good research that he puts in the book, regardless of where you fall in that debate. And one of those pieces of research 
let's bring this in now, mm-hmm. um, is that when he, he looked at market movements and said, geez, if you look at the news of the day, uh, is it possible to interpret, take that news, interpret it, and, and make good decisions about getting in and out of the market? I don't know if you recall that. And what he was saying is some of the most significant days uh, in the market, whether it be positive or negative, were accompanied with no uh, serious news. Hmm. So um, a lot of times what, what the common media does is they will create some sort of a news and say, you know, let's look at it today. I think the market was up a little bit. If you just go onto the MSN page or whatever, it says, uh, let's see, major equity averages surrendered early gains to trade flat, um, but leadership from pi- the financial sector helped the broader market settle in positive territory. Um News of a successful debt offering by Portugal also helped perpetuate the positive tone. Much later in the day, Portugal announced plans to request foreign financial aid. The generally positive tone to the morning trade benefited both blue chips. So, I mean, they, they try to recreate yeah. the, the news. But, you know, in, far, in terms of real significant news, um, I think he, if you look at Siegel's book, he does a good job of dispelling that notion that that uh, it's the daily news events that are that, that can drive all of the volatility in the market. It just doesn't explain it. Yeah, in fact, I think my view of, of part of what the media tries to do is they try to ex- explain things sort of after the fact in a way that makes sense and is logical. But in reality, there's a really big disconnect between the two. And I mean, anything day-to-day uh, that we hear about in the news may, may in fact have had a small impact on stocks. But it probably isn't the daily driver because it's hard to make those connections in real time. And I think oftentimes investors can be fl- frustrated when there is news um, <clears throat> and that news <laughs> – sorry. you got to mute that out. We have a mute button. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. A little allergies here. No, it's all right. Go ahead. So anyway, um, but it can be frustrating because sometimes the way the market actually – the direction of the market – um, is contrary to what you would, would believe the news would, would dictate or mandate, right? So sometimes if a, if a company um, a company can beat its earnings estimates and still be down in a particular day because maybe after the fact people say, well, it wasn't as much as as the, the whisper numbers or, or whatever whatever happens to be the situation. Mm-hmm. So coming back around here, the, the one thing that has been shown, another another academic Robert Schiller's done some research on this that I've uh, read. And he's, he's written a, uh, several good books, but one of them was, I think it was Irrational Exuberance was the name of the book. And in that book, Professor Schiller talked about P.E. ratios and market valuations. Mm-hmm. Um, and another book I'll drop out here, um, Bob, John Bogle from founder of Vanguard, um, He's written a book called Common Sense on Mutual Funds, and he spends a pretty good time uh, about trying to describe where returns come from, from the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and he breaks it down into some simple categories of, hey, that you've got earnings growth, you've got earnings, right, and earnings growth, you've got dividends, um, and you've got an inflation factor, um, some pretty basic stuff. And over time, it's those elements that really drive, you can explain a, a great majority of the what we call the fundamental component of stock market returns. But there's another element that really can have significant impact on the short term, and that's the PE. 
the P-E ratio either expanding or contracting. And, uh, you know, the P-E ratio is simply a function, Ethan, of the price you pay for a stock uh, divided by the amount of earnings that stock has per share. Mm -hmm. So if the stock's trading at $10 and it has $1 of earnings, what's the P-E ratio? Uh, 10? 10. See, I knew there was a reason we have you around here. Well, I have my calculator right here. Okay. Um, so you've got a P ratio of 10, you're paying 10 times earnings, right? You can kind of gauge then, am I, what am I paying for the, a company? And it needs to be uh, compared to companies of similar characteristics. Right. But at least you get a kind of a gauge on what you're paying relative to other companies for that earnings. And if you pay a higher rate, typically it's because you think, well, that company's earnings are going to grow in excess. If I'm paying 20 times earnings, typically you wouldn't do that when you can buy a very similar substitute for 10 times, unless right. you thought the company that's trading at 20 times is going to continue to grow earnings at a much faster pace. Exactly. And if prices didn't move, that stock would ultimately become cheap, right? Mm -hmm. And so, any who's it's, uh, we can take a look at this, <laughs> we can take a look at this measure on a broader market spectrum for an entire group of stocks. Right. And what Scheller was saying is, hey, there there is some statistical significance around the time that I buy into the stock market, we're um, going on in the news, um, and the valuation that I'm paying. So I want you to hold that for a second, Ethan, because we're going to take a quick break. Like I said, in our last show, we've got sponsors flooding in, and they demand their time. So Understood. let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back and jump jump back into this discussion. All right. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism 
autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to Thrive By. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back. Ethan, how's it going? It's going well. Let's. Uh, where were we? We're talking about. Uh, we're talking about love. We're talking about life. <laughs> I don't think it's this kind of show, that kind of show. Oh, okay. Wrong channel. Right, right. That's <laughs> down the dial a little bit. We'll we'll have a program on the on the other channels for that. Fair enough. Food. Did you have any any good food recently? Well, I mean, I did actually. Yeah. What'd you have? Uh, yesterday, I had a fantastic sandwich. I live in Columbia City, down, or right near Seward Park, uh, mm-hmm. Columbia City, down south of Seattle. There's this brand new sandwich shop. It's called, now this is a free advertisement. He hasn't paid me to talk about it, but I love sandwiches, and I love good sandwiches especially. And there's one called the Chelsea Deli, right there on... Uh, no way. Yeah, right there in Rainier and down in Columbia City. They serve the best sandwiches this side of the Mississippi. I kid you not. And I had a... Uh, a freshly made uh, cheesesteak sandwich. Oh, cheesesteak. And that was just a daily special. It was fantastic. Wow. Fantastic well, roast beef, little cheese, peppers. That was yesterday? Yeah, I happened to go, go home a little early yesterday because my wife's not feeling good. Yeah, you were supposed to be at work. Right. And instead, um, I, I grabbed a sandwich for myself. That seems a little strange. Well, hey. Uh, the sandwich part? <laughs> Let's pop the champagne. I'm, I'm, out, I'm, I'm out of work. I don't usually go. Oh, there I thought for you lunch, were going because somebody was not feeling well. Well, yeah, but I stopped and got myself a sandwich. I need I, to eat. You deserve it. Well, I need some food. All right. So well, yes, anyway, I, ha- I have cool. had some good food recently. That's great. That that's great. I'm only, you asked me the question. I'm giving you a good story here, <laughs> and then you're rushing me through. I don't understand. I'm not rushing you. No, that's true. It was good. It sounds good. I don't, I, I want to eat it. I'm going to go there on the way home from work today. You should get one if I ever get out of the office. Simon, you have you have anything good recently? Have I what? Had any good food recently? This is the Food Network all of a sudden. I yeah. Have it. yeah? Okay. All Ken, you time. were drinking uh, some green drink earlier today. How was that? It was good. 
Yeah, I mean it's healthy. So I'm trying to get my veggies in, and I can't always eat them. Right. So I have a tasty little green drink. You ever, you ever tried a out. juicer? If you can't eat them, mm-hmm. maybe you can juice them. That takes time too, but the powder is just pretty <laughs> quick and easy. <laughs> oh, I love so. it. All right, I'm sure uh, this is what's going on out in the crowd here. Yeah, let's move on. Moving right along, we were talking about uh, Schiller <clears throat> and valuations and and what's meaningful. Okay, and basically what we're trying to help our listeners do here is to say, hey, you got to filter out this day-to-day market noise. And if anything, if you're going to make adjustments to your portfolio, a more prudent way of doing it and a more empirically tested way of doing it, uh, because we were laying the foundation that Jeremy Siegel talked about and and showed the data, that big market moves don't necessarily uh, accompany big news events. And more importantly, could you have, could, did those news events occur before? And then can you react to those news and make, make a profit, right, by avoiding down or getting in before upturns by taking this news and then reacting to it? So this article we were, we were talking about in the Wall Street Journal that said, hey, here's eight reasons that this, uh, um, I think it was macro something advisors, MRA or something, were saying that the market's gotten overvalued, everybody's giddy. Right, and we're saying, well, first of all, even today we talked. Have you met anyone that's giddy about the the, the market, the <laughs> stock market? You know, we no. Had, we had an incredible decline. We still haven't gotten any, gotten to the near where we were. Yeah, on all, many of the indices. Right. Um, from the very peak to the to the bottom to where we are now, I don't know too many people who are running around giddy, throwing caution to the wind. Um, at mm-hmm. least. You know, most people are pretty skeptical still, and still a little bit uh, maybe even shell shocked at uh, what happened in the last three years. Right, right. So giddy is not a word I'd use. But aside from that, jump, coming back around is what what Schiller's study showed is, hey, there is some meaningful positive relationship when when PE when the price investors as a group pay becomes far um, higher than what the historical average of value that investors paid. If if in the average, say if we take the S something like the S and P five hundred and say, well, the average is around fifteen between fifteen and sixteen times earnings, um, at a time when investors are paying forty five times earnings, um, if you're the new investor putting new cash in, it's highly likely that the next ten year period, for example, you might you might see below average returns. So if the long term average return on the S and P was around ten percent since 1927 and I happen to put my money into this into the, into that index at a time when it's trading at three to four times higher the multiple PE ratio I'm paying the price I'm paying per dollar of earnings is three or four times the historic average it might be reasonable to expect that I'll get a lower rate of return than the long-term historical rate and vice versa if I looked at the PE ratio at times when it was significantly lower than that 15. Maybe it's I'm buying it at a time where it's seven times earnings. Um, it's reasonable and statistically been validated that yeah the the subsequent 10 year time period uh, I might experience above average rates of return. Now let's talk about that. Why do you think that's happened? Is there a logical explanation for that, Ethan? Try to break it down for me. Well, yeah, I mean, during during times, and we have a lot of numbers here in front of us, actually, that show that when price-to-earnings levels are low, lower than historical average, typically what happens is that the next 
series of years is you, you do have a, a higher than average rate of return. An example of what I'm talking about is most recently back in, in the recent market low back in March 2009, um, you had a situation where the S&P, according to our chart here, was about 9.6%. I'm sorry, 9.6 on the, on the price-to-earnings ratio. And uh, from that point to now, the P's have gone up, meaning that the prices uh, have, have gone up, and obviously we've seen a bit of a recovery in the S&P over that period of time. Similar things for the rest of the asset classes. We look at, again, say, emerging markets as an example, um, or maybe international small cap value. Uh, PE was six back in March 2000. Six times. Six times earnings in 2009, March 2009. And uh, today, looking at the numbers, at least after, as of December 10th, rather, it's almost doubled in, right. in that period of time. And that means that prices have gone up, and obviously um, returns have been pretty good over that period. So, you're not. I want to know why, though, the why this happens. Back to why are the returns? I mean, you're you're giving me the data, but mm-hmm. why? And that's what Schiller did, right? Is in his study. But why do you think that 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 happens? Why do you think the ret- returns are better post high P, uh, low PE versus when we buy in at high PE ratios? Well, one thing is uh, these numbers tend to be. Things tend to go back to the average for one thing, and for that to happen, to move a PE from a below historical average of six to an average say of twelve or thirteen, uh, prices simply have, PEs have to go back up, and prices have to go back up. Right. So there's this thing called mean reversion or revert, reverting to the average, and for that to happen, prices have to go up at some point in time. Now it didn't didn't mean that we were calling the bottom or the bottom of the market was evident in March. 2009. That's not what we're saying, because it could have gone further down before it went back up. But we're saying it ultimately it would go back up, right? Based and if there were no earnings, I mean, in a lot of this data we should disclose when when we get the data from the uh, fund companies we're looking at. They're excluding the negative earnings, right, out of that. And so um, clearly, if there were no earnings, and you really can't calculate out a PE ratio. But also, companies that have no earnings don't tend to be around for real long, so there aren't tons no. and tons of them in these indices. And in Schiller's calculations, he smooths that out. Um, he he advocates using a, a longer, rather than a one-year period. Like what we're t- The data we're looking at here is the last 12 months of earnings relative to the current price. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes to use a longer terms, uh, like a 10-year earnings average, to right. kind of smooth out some of the erratic issues that you, you deal with. But anywho, continue on. You were talking, we're talking about the fact that... Um, the reason, a logical explanation for this, um, and and I, I'm I was, I'm trying to get to a risk premium kind of a situation. Right. Well, well two things had happened. Yeah. Looking back to this most recent decline, yeah, two things. Prices had fallen a bit. Yeah. But that's in part because, well, a there's a lot of back, bad economic news. The general environment wasn't favorable <laughs> for investors at that period of time. It seemed like, but also the earnings had gone down, right? So you had two things that fell, and yeah. thus you had a, a, a compression of the. Um, the PE ratios across the board because prices fell and also earnings fell. Right. That's the reason they felt they went down. Um, both of those things happened at the same time. So when when markets are at high at high um, valuations or high PE ratios. Yeah. Think of like the tech tech bubble back in the late '90s. If we think about the way the market prices securities, um, it when it when it perceives r- risk, when it perceives that there's risk in the market, it demands a higher rate of return. Mm-hmm. I think this is what uh, an issue that a lot of 
investors don't understand. So I wanted to yeah, make this sure we, if there's point. nothing else on this program we talk about, if, if you can come away from today's topic with a better understanding of this risk-return relationship, you will be a better investor going forward. Um, so if, if we look at this and you say, hey, I'm very concerned because I don't know that companies are going to be around, that they're going to be able to generate an, in, an income. Like you said, hey, some companies don't even have earnings. They're probably going to go out of business. Um, the more unstable and the more scary news there is out in the marketplace, uh, the, the higher return investors demand to, to be in it. And so they're going to say, hey, I want, if I'm going to be in a stock instead of a treasury, right, and say the treasury's yielding, is offering a 5% return, mm -hmm. the difference between the treasury return, which is, is we know what that is, right? That's that's a finite number based on whatever the current yield is over my holding period. And what I expect to get from stocks is called the risk premium. So academics refer to that as the equity risk premium. Mm -hmm. When things are shaky and uncertain, investors want a higher risk premium than when they think everything is great. So when, when we were back, if we went back into the late 90s, we had several consecutive years of double-digit earnings growth, right? Oh, we got to take a quick break. We'll come right back into this topic and come back because this is good stuff. We'll be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back. So we're talking about valuations, Ethan. And the reason why... How market prices, how the market prices risk, and uh, the reason why when valuations are very low, uh, why has the empirical data showed that the subsequent ten-year returns have been higher than average, and when the valuations are high, when you're buying in at high valuations, uh, the subsequent ten-year returns are lower. And so you you said, well, one of that part of that is this this existence of something called mean reversion where things tend to uh, revert back to some long-term average so if if evaluations have gotten high a lot of times it's because the stock market's done very well like in the 90s mm-hmm. it did very well for a a, a pretty good chunk of, of time and a part of that was the valuations expanded the pe expanded price to earnings multiple expanded and people perceived very little risk of buying equities um but what was really, really going on, if you understood this, and this is what I'm trying to communicate, mm-hmm. is that p- because people because people perceived very little risk in the equity market, um, they were demanding, in essence, a very small or, or virtually no risk premium over treasuries, over risk-free assets, because the market had recently just done nothing but go up year after year. Um, and when they think... Once the data came out that, wow, um, these companies are going under <clears throat> and triggered the technology bubble bursting, mm-hmm. right? Um, once that happened in, in recent de- the recent decline, um, investors tend to be very, very pessimistic and very risk-averse to be tempted to, be, to come back into the market. Um, they need to believe that there is a higher risk premium, a higher premium over the treasury rate of return. And even though treasuries are very low, mm-hmm. because you don't have to generate, when you got a 10-year treasury yielding 3.5%, somewhere mm-hmm. is about the 3-plus percent range, right. um, the market for the next 10 years doesn't have to do a whole lot relative to back in the day when 10-year yields were 10% plus. Sure. Then it's like, wow, the market's really going to have to generate some some uh, some high reasonably high returns for me to get rewarded for taking on that extra risk, um, and even though that's the case, the interest rates are very low. People perceived a lot of risk in the market, and the prices went down. 
um, and you would expect then the subsequent rate of return to be higher, the expected return. That's what's going on with this PE pricing that goes on. So we were talking about, hey, the market fundamentally over long periods of time, the, you can break that market rate of return down by looking at earnings, by looking at dividends paid, and, and an inflation factor for the most part. And you can explain, oh, this is how we get to a 10% rate of return. Um, but in the short term, you see significantly different wild fluctuations of up and down on the stock market. Right. Because when you're discounting things over a long period of time, little changes in assumptions can have huge factors in what Impact you come to. Um, but if you assumed, hey, these will, these things these things will average out, the market wouldn't fluctuate like it does. It's that speculative component, the the PE that's expanding and contracting, uh, that's that's causing a lot of these wild swings. If you said, what do I expect the rate of return uh, to be, uh, or earnings growth rate over the next 50 years, um, between the consent analysts, it wouldn't be a huge difference if if they were good at what they do. And if you look at that, right. <coughs> You wouldn't you wouldn't expect one asset to go well for the next fifty years we're going to have one percent earnings growth, and another <clears throat> to say we're going to have twenty percent earnings growth a year. Um, that range is going to be pretty tight, right? But uh, but what people are willing to pay at any one time is largely being driven by this in the short term by this expansion of of PE and contraction of it. So it makes logical sense that when things get really really cheap, it's because the market's perceiving a lot of risk and uncertainty, and it wants to be rewarded for that. And it does that by reducing the current price. I think that's one of the things that, you know, looking at uh, Warren Buffett, when he's, he makes the comment about be be uh, greedy when others are feel f- fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. Yeah. That's exactly what he's talking about. That's why that's why that makes sense to me, <laughs> because of the discussion you just talked about. Right. It's exactly what he's talking about when he, he mentions that and why that's important. Because has a lot to do with the returns. So if we looked back in 2009, let's go through these valuations now. All right. As coming back to our original discussion about is 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 everybody giddy and 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 all hopped up here. Um, <laughs> what what we have is in some of these asset classes we have um, longer term data and others we don't. But we try to as far as we can track the data, we've tried to put together our own empirical historical averages of different asset classes. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we have <clears throat> we can look at the bottom of the market. And when we're looking at these 12-month, preceding 12-month uh, earnings to get that calculation, what you've got is a situation where earnings really dropped off. Um, earnings significantly on the S&P declined significantly for, for a period of time. It's just now starting to rebound. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So you have to keep that in mind if you you know when you're when you're looking at these at these numbers. But you were saying that uh, the S and P 500 currently, um, I think it's around what 15, 16. Yeah, 15. Is that what it is? As of December current? December 31st, 2010. Okay, it's 15. Right. And the longer term average has been around 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know that people are giddy. You know, I wouldn't say, hey, this is. If we were looking at it from in the Schiller model or a model, and and we were using the current PE, because that's a whole separate debate, but just to keep it simple, let's focus on that. I wouldn't necessarily go, hey, everybody's giddy. Um, But I also wouldn't say things are really dirt cheap. They're about about in line with what we would see as historical averages. 
which means to me it's about a fair price, right? basically speaking. Oh, particularly when, when the hurdle now is pretty low on the Treasury at this point. Yeah, right. So if you're saying, hey, again, if Treasuries were yielding 10%, we said, well, now we've got a historical valuation that's about average, and the historical rate of return was about 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, that that might be something you'd have to we'd have to work through. Sure, and, and as investors, that's that's the choice you face every day. I mean, should I invest cash, bonds, or stocks? And you know what 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 asset class is likely to give me a the best return over my investment horizon? You know, on my view, and you're probably as too long term. It's probably stocks, but you wouldn't need to temper that idea with having all stocks with the the idea. Hey, you need to account for the risk and the risk that you're willing and, and actually need to take. Maybe you don't need all stock risk even though you do expect better returns from all stocks. Right. So to me, that, that there's, no, there's no clear um, decision to be made there that the market is over or undervalued. I mean, we had it get very, very cheap. We had mm-hmm. earnings drop pretty fast and pretty significantly. And you would expect overall those earnings to rebound. Again, this, this mean reversion idea that... Mm-hmm. They'll, they eventually will will rebound, and that'll be what continues to drive the market in the longer term. Is hey, we, we will have earnings again, and and um, and those earnings should should begin to track to some long term historical average. Mm-hmm. But if we look at other asset classes, um, Ethan, you know, from the data that we have, if we look at something like like you had mentioned, emerging markets, uh, just general DFA emerging markets uh, portfolio, the Average is about 14.6. I think um, as of December, they're trading at about 15. Mm-hmm. And that data goes back. We're, we're drawing that average because, again, we're using funds here. We only have till back to 2,000 to get that data. Yeah. Um, so it's over, it's over 10 years of data, though. <coughs> oh, over the 10-year period, mm-hmm. at least. Um, and it, it's gotten as high as, you know, into the 20s. I'm just looking as I'm scrolling through to see. Yeah, back in the early 2000s, that particular asset class was at 31. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, the regular emerging Yeah, 31. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty high. Pretty high. Um, And again, the low point, I'd venture to say it was during the, uh, because I'm scrolling through the month to month here, Mm -hmm. um, was during this recent decline. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. When it got into the single digits. Yeah, I mean, at the, so. at, at the the very lowest PE, if you if you actually track performance from that date to now, you would find that that's probably the best performance period, you know, in terms of the actual appreciation of that particular fund. Once you hit the low on uh, the PE, the subsequent time period, very good returns. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't have done bad if, I mean, we're looking at a lot of assets. We have U.S. large value, small, small value, microcap, and same thing in international and emerging markets where we can get it. Mm-hmm. You certainly wouldn't do bad if, if you had let that guide some of your decision-making. Right. Now, before the financial crisis, I think what is interesting um, is that we weren't necessarily overvalued then either if, if we were looking at the P-E ratios in, in 07. Right, November 07. There wouldn't have been a clear... <clears throat> Indicator, hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta unload my stock portfolio. What we had was a systematic risk that emerged. That's right. Uh, as a result of of the uh, the mortgage meltdown, as it were. And again, let's come back to well. So I 
using this P, the idea of P ratios at that point, would that have saved me? Would that have triggered me to get out? You know, maybe it would have with the tech bubble, because the PE got up to about 45 on yeah. the S&P. Very high. Um, at that point, you you would have had a, an indicator. But I'm not. We're not saying, I guess, that that this is something that should be used as a regular day-to-day market timing deal, or that it would drive you to make those decisions. Mm-mm. What we're saying is that of all the different strategies that active traditional portfolio managers try to engage, there is some significance in this idea of of when you enter into the market and what those valuations are, uh, particularly relative to what the alternatives are, right? Sure. The other things, the news of the day and trying to interpret that, there's ver- there's very little or no evidence that that is a, a good way of, of driving your portfolio decisions. We got to take another break, Ethan. Okay. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Spin It with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on. It will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news. Spin It Old School, which gives a back-in-the-day approach from Chuck. A no-spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. 
To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, Ethan. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. We are our last segment of the show here, and uh, so we're going to keep it highly impactful. Ethan, let's... Uh, <laughs> I, I know you're probably expecting some kind of a sound effect, but I'm not going to give it to you. Oh, come on. Keep come you, on. Keep you on the edge. You're so unpredictable. Uh, I don't know how you do it. Uh, it's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> so, um, anywho, we've been, we've been talking about valuations of the stock market, um, and all that kind of jazz. And yeah, the news and stuff news, for the day. and Giddiness. I think you've that. mentioned the word giddy. We had, we had a little, I have a giddy counter here. You've mentioned it 36 times this hour. Giddy, giddy. I like the word, um, and it was in the article, so I uh, felt like it was a good thing to do. I want to jump <laughs> into something uh, that is related, and it happens to be a, uh, a, 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 a new investor with Empirical, a situation that you've encountered just recently. Yeah. And it's entirely relevant. Yeah. I think we need to dig into the mail back, though. You've got mail. Even though it wasn't Javail. mail. Javail is here! Ooh. Mail call! Gather around, everyone! This is a, who, who put this montage well, together? Give that guy a raise. Nice work, Ooh. Simon. It's perfect. Well, you, got mail. I don't know how you do mail it. Call. I know you've been frustrated with some of the other issues around the office, but this is not one of them. No, this one's great. So, good job, Simon. Okay, go ahead, Ethan. What was the issue? Yeah, well... Uh, what was the situation? Recently started working with a client, a really nice nice fella. And um, numerous accounts, got things invested, agreed on what strategy we're going to, to run and what allocation we're going to work. And uh, it's a situation where in a couple of months after we uh, got things initially set up, we'll have a deposit of like a half million dollars come into one of the accounts. And we wanted to get... Get that working, obviously. Um, as it became time closer and closer to uh, have that deposit hit the account, and we, obviously we were going to redeploy those assets to get them invested, uh, just an email from, from the client was saying, hey, uh, you know, we're pretty much in negative territory right now. Maybe we should consider just leaving that cash uh, as is for a while. Let things, let the market, you know, figure itself out a little bit first. Yeah. And which certainly a very reasonable thing. This is right when the, the earthquake in Japan hit, the tsunami and the subsequent nuclear troubles were, were brewing over there and they're still going on today um and so my response was in because i i know i feel the same way right i don't like it when the market goes down i don't like negative news certainly it makes it doesn't make me feel good but one of the things i tried to encourage um this client of ours to to take into account was hey you know our feelings aren't particularly good when it comes to investment decisions right and um you know my response was detailed and had adequate information relative to the uh, the types of returns over one month periods of time, one quarter periods of time, and, and, and annual on an annual basis. You know, how often do you, do you expect positive market returns? And it's, as we discussed in previous shows, they're, they're highly skewed to the positive. Far, far more often than 50-50 do you expect to have positive returns in stocks. Right. Um, so from that perspective, there really isn't any any bet you could make that would be good to not invest cash that should be invested for the long term. So anyway, that was my, my first little uh, response. and Well, it wasn't little, I should say. It was quite detailed and, and nice. And the response was good. Hey, thanks for the, the really good information. I really appreciate you taking the time to you know, put all this down and, right, so right. I can know where you're coming from. And 
but the response I got was, hey, I would still prefer not to do that. I would still prefer to keep the cash in cash, even though, mm-hmm. you know, we have a very long time horizon for this particular monies. And all I was suggesting anyway was, hey, I just want to invest it at our, at our, our chosen allocation. I wasn't suggesting we put it all into stocks. I'm simply saying, let's get it invested as we've already decided we should. Right. After a thorough conversation about what allocation would be best given the time frame and circumstances of this particular client. And so only a portion of the money that we had, uh, that had been recently deposited would be actually be going to stocks anyways. Um, and it was just, again, sticking with our original plan. And as it turns out, it was interesting that um, the, the date of the actual deposit, as it turns out in hindsight, was the, the recent low point, the day that uh, the market hit the recent bottom ba- based on the news uh, in Japan. And I think the market really? was down at 11,400 on that particular day down to several hundred points that particular day. And that was the day the, f- the cash first came to be available. So it wasn't anything to do with the market timing. just happened to come in that day. And normally, because I knew about the deposit, I would get it working on that particular day. That we just were going to run our strategy and, st- and not let our emotions drive our decision-making. That was right. the point. And, but as the client insisted, and I said, okay, I'm not going to, obviously, it's ultimately your decision, but I want to give you some, some background information, some facts to take into account to help you make an educated decision rather than kind of going with your gut. Yeah. Because all too frequently, our guts are incorrect, particularly when it comes to, to investing. That's right. the way that it is. We're not, we're not wired properly to make the best decisions anyway consistently if we're letting our emotions guide our choices with investments. I know that's true. Yeah, it's a I weakness think, we all have as investors. In future shows, let's get, we haven't talked quite, quite a while about, I mean, I've read a, a lot of material sure. on behavioral finance. Right. We haven't been talking about it, which I find it very, very fascinating. So let's, let's uh, put that in the declar file for future discussion. I think that sounds good. I think that sounds good. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so as it turns out, I said, okay, hey, it's no problem. I mean, obviously we have, um, we can hold off on the investing the cash until you you feel comfortable. You let me know when to do it, basically is what I said. And uh, in the meantime, we can move on to other things that are important for you, like revisiting your, your estate plan or, you know, tax strategies and things like that. So, which we made appointments and, and are going through forward with that process. And a few weeks, about a week and a half later, I, I get the uh, an email um, just saying, "Hey, I looks like we were <laughs> we should have got that money working," and it was just so happens to be that the market had really recovered from that day, right? I mean, if you look now, it's up a thousand points in the Dow since the day that that money was deposited, and um, you know, it, obviously, I'm not happy that we lost out on returns there. That isn't the point. Uh, the point is again not letting our 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 gut guide our decision process with investments. It's that's not the way to go. And in spite of how you may feel, and it looked inevitable that the market would get worse based on the news developing in Japan. I mean, I agreed. It looked terrible. Um, again, it, it just didn't materialize and, and frequently doesn't materialize. When did it comes you, to this. so did you pull the trigger on that? Yeah. The, the day he told me to go ahead and it was okay to do it, I obviously, I did. Um, and that was, you know, it's been a week and a half, two weeks now. Um, so we missed a, the best portion of the returns we could have gotten with the money, uh, but yet we're still invested now, which is good. Okay. And, um, you know, my, and I had several email conversations with them as well um, and phone calls and things. And one of the things I kind of liked was I, I said at the end of my last email to him was, hey, Warren Buffett once said, investing is simple, but it's not easy. Right. And I went on to say, I think what he means by that is that it's hard to maintain your diversified and disciplined strategy in the face of so much news and information out, out there encouraging you to act when, in fact, no change, of course, is actually your best choice. You know, yeah. Once you've adopted a, a diversified and disciplined strategy, the best thing you can do is stick with it and not change it based on your feelings day to day. 
And uh, that, that's sort of the point. And I, I think you know, we all learned a lesson here with that. Well, I, I think there are definitely a lot of psychological factors that go into our individual decision-making that are counterproductive when it comes to very sophisticated um, economical and statistical decisions that uh, our, our emotional and psychological um, build is not, was not designed to make right. um, outside of a, a logical model. That's um, so why we have, we have a logical side of the brain and, a, and we have a, an emotional side of the brain um, and one that's guided more by intuition and past experience. And a lot of times our, our view of that past experience is not, um, is not actually reality. So we, that's enough for today, Ethan. We've got right. to go. Let's, uh, let's pick, I'll pick some nuggets uh, of the behavioral finance, and we'll talk about that next show. I think that'd be great. Because that'd be good stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, again, give us a call if we can do anything for you. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.